With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, ESPN analyst Taylor Twellman gives his thoughts on a busy time in U.S. soccer, including his take on the embattled U.S. men's coach, Jurgen Klinsmann. Any other soccer country, footballing nation, however you want to describe it, in the world, I'm not sure Jurgen Klinsmann, after the Jamaica loss and definitely after the away loss to Guatemala, I'm not sure he would have been given more time. All that and my thoughts on the latest in soccer coming up. This episode of Planet Football with Grant Wall is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Guys, whatever you're wearing right now, Mac Weldon is better. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. And Mack Weldon wants you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. They aren't just comfortable. Mack Weldon looks good and it performs well too. It's good for everyday life, going to work, going on dates, and working out. All their products are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code PLANET. Easy shopping, great customer service, good-looking, super comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, and hoodies. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using the promo code PLANET. Take one. Hi, everyone. First off, Jurgen Klinsmann was fired on Monday as the U.S. men's national team coach by U.S. soccer president Sunil Gulati. Klinsmann spent five years on the job, but as I had written following last week's historically bad losses to Mexico and Costa Rica, his time had come. What will Klinsmann's legacy be? A better-than-expected performance at World Cup 2014, but nothing of the sweeping changes that Klinsman promised when he took over. Klinsman had his high moments and his low moments, but in the end there were too many of the latter to continue. The U.S. under Klinsman wasn't much different than it was under his predecessors, with the exception that the team had lost much of its previous identity as a hard team to play and better than the sum of its parts. And for Klinsman, U.S. soccer paid a lot more money than it had for Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena. It was time. Take two. Next up, promotion and relegation in U.S. soccer. 
On Monday, Deloitte released a study on the topic with its recommendation that an open league system with promotion and relegation would be beneficial to the growth of soccer in the U.S. One huge caveat here, the Deloitte study was commissioned and funded by an NASL owner, Ricardo Silva, who would stand to gain financially if the study's findings were instituted. I'm just as skeptical about this study as I am about studies funded by the pharmaceutical industry or big tobacco. I have no problem with promotion and relegation outside the U.S., and I'd have no problem with it inside the U.S. But come back to me once you have a study on promotion and relegation that's actually independent. Take three. Every week, I'm going to have a segment called What's on My Radar? It's a look ahead at something interesting about to take place in the soccer world. Between this Tuesday, November 22nd, and November 30th is MLS's version of the Final Four. Colorado Seattle and Toronto Montreal are the two semifinals spread out over two legs each, and I'm looking forward to these games. But let's be clear, it's time MLS got smarter on its playoff format. These games should be done before the November international window. I've long supported a group stage format for the eight finalists that would be set up like the Confederations Cup with the top two group teams advancing to a single game, semifinals, and then final. You'd reward the regular season more by letting the top seed host all three of its group games and the bottom seed have to go on the road for all three. In every game, you'd be incentivized to get points. Unlike in the current home-and-away two-legged format, where the first game is often dreadfully boring. I know you can do this, MLS. Just make the change. And now, our in-depth interview for the week with ESPN analyst Taylor Twellman. Taylor Twellman is an analyst for ESPN, for which he'll be broadcasting the first leg of the MLS Eastern Conference final between Montreal and Toronto on Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. He also scored 101 goals for the New England Revolution, and he has the sharpest wardrobe of anyone in the U.S. soccer media. (laughs) Taylor, thanks for joining the podcast. What's going on, Grant? I appreciate that intro. How much do I owe you? I'd like to think I'm moving up in the power rankings of wardrobe, but I'm I'm not quite where you are No, you are. You've always been there. Just trying. Trying my part. I wanted to start because... I miss your voice on the podcasts I listen to, so I'm, I'm excited you're on this one. My life has not been complete since you stopped podcasting on the Big Head, Redhead podcast with Alexi Lalas. Yeah, we had some fun, and as you well know, now working with Alexi, it, it's, uh, it's not that difficult to uh, pull the string and just let him talk. <laughs> so I said, you know what, why don't we start a podcast? And it was, it was an absolute blast, uh, obviously. It was like sitting at the bar with us two talking about it. I miss it, but, you know, certain things change, and some things are left, as Alexi would say, maybe for a comeback later down the road. Who knows? We'll blame Alexi for it for leaving. I, well, I blame <laughs> Alexi for everything, so it's easier. <laughs> so we'll get to MLS. Plenty going on with the playoffs there. But first, we're recording this on Friday morning, November 18th. Three days have passed since the U.S.'s brutal 4 nothing loss to Costa Rica and World Cup qualifying. Several people, including me, have called for the end of Jurgen Klinsmann's five-year tenure as U.S. coach. No decision has been made yet, as we speak on Friday morning, about his future. Where do you stand on it? Oh, it's a good one. I, I, when I'm asked this question, Grant, I started with this. Any other soccer country, footballing nation, however you want to describe it, in the world, 
I'm not sure Jurgen Klinsmann after the Jamaica loss and definitely after the away loss to Guatemala, I'm not sure he would have been given more time. I agree. But with U.S. soccer, uh, with Sunil Gulati, um, with a head coach manager that is also unusually the technical director mm-hmm. as well, then all of that, what normal countries would do, what footballing countries would do, what soccer nations would do, Grant, that goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Because Grant, because Sunil has literally hitched his wagon to Jurgen Klinsmann. The moment he re-signed him before the World Cup, right. I specifically remember saying it on air, well, this is a whole new kettle of fish because he hasn't played or coached a World Cup game yet. He's bartered the, whether it was Switzerland, whether it was Tottenham, whatever mm-hmm. it is, the interest that has gone around, them re-signing, and quite frankly, the results showed it. So Sunil and U.S. Soccer would have re-signed him anyways. Right. But this is nothing against Jurgen Klinsmann. I've always disagreed with Sunil Galati and U.S. Soccer. I do not think one man should hold both positions. Because as you're asking me this question, I, we're wondering what Sunil does when the reality is anywhere around the world. Let's say Yugi Love is gone from Germany. Well, Oliver Bierhoff's making the decisions. Right. Sunil's making the decisions, not the technical director, because that's Jurgen Klinsmann. So uh, I just look at it this way, and you said the date. Here we are. It's Friday, November 18th. If the decision's not made, in my opinion, before Thanksgiving, or let's say December 1, just to give a date, mm-hmm. well, then you're pretty much saying no matter what, Jurgen's my guy till the end of the hexagonal. Because if you wait till after the March games, well, now your back's completely against the wall. Right. Right now, it's not, you know, the, the margin of error is slim, but it's not do or die as of yet. But if March, you tie one of those games, or you don't get the result at home, well, now all of a sudden, that's when you want to bring in a Bruce Arena, a Peter Vermees, a Miguel Herrera, whoever you want. I just, I think Sunil has to look at it and say, well, what do I know right now, because if I wait to make that decision in January and February, that just doesn't make any sense to me. No, I agree. If you're going to make a a move, you've got to do it now. You don't want to wait until March when the qualifiers are going to be coming faster and faster at that point. But I look at this right now, and I think a couple of things that, one, Gulati has to come out in the next week and say one way or the other. He can't kind of leave it twisting in the wind because... I'm not the only one who's called for Jurgen's tenure to, to end. You know, you're you're seeing now probably seven or eight outlets out there. Yeah, but in fairness, though, you started it, and that's that's a different subject. I'll, I'll get into it. Continue <laughs> your thought, but that's a different subject. But it's a situation where I don't know if I would have written that column and taken that very clear stance if it had been sort of your typical two-one loss, two-nothing loss to Costa oh, I Rica. Agree. But in in that said, I also want to say that I didn't just write that because these two games, it's about the overall direction of the team when you put this together with all of the stuff post-World Cup 2014, just the drop of performance, the, the decisions that have been made, what you said about the 2015 Gold Cup, when pretty much any other coach in the world would have been gone after that Gold Cup or after the loss to Mexico in the Confederations Cup playoff. Right, and now we're not even to the Guatemala game. 
Right, which was a so disaster. The worst team the U.S. has lost. Everything into it, Grant. Right. You just hit the nail on the head. So, okay, Jamaica, I can kind of understand because you remember he went with young players and the only, you know, and you're the first year of a four-year cycle. You can actually convince me that, you know what, Jamaica, you shouldn't be gone. Right. The Mexico game, that's your bitter rival. The way that game went, what's concerning to me is after the game, you and I were actually there, and Jurgen's talking about how they had a legitimate chance to win the game when you and I looked at each other and said, well, I don't, what game, do, what game was that? <laughs> But then Guatemala? Yeah. And listen, it's in fairness to Jurgen, I've said this all along. I think two cycles is almost impossible. Well, and we've because, kind of learned that, right, from, from Bob Bradley's yeah. experience and even to some extent from Bruce Arena's experience. Right. And so you and I are saying this, and I guarantee you people listen to the podcast, and then they'll tweet us and say, well, what about Sweden? What about Denmark? Well, the, those are unique situations. But anywhere around the world, listen, Jurgen used his ace in his pocket when he got when he did not take Landon Donovan to the World Cup. And I tell everyone this because as a player, that literally lit a fire under all 23 guys that went to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Even Julian Green scored a goal <laughs> off the back of his foot that had no business going in, but it went in. But now, Grant, what do you do after that? So now for the next four years, you've got to push the button of those players that I think, quite frankly are tired. Yeah, they tuned them out. I look at a team that has no team spirit. Yeah. And that's where, listen, are you and I having this discussion if they tie 1-1 in Columbus and lose 2-1 in Costa Rica? I'm not sure we are. And yet that's what concerns me a little bit because then we really haven't, are we giving up all of a sudden? Because after Mexico, after Guatemala lost, we look at it and say, okay, fine. They lost to Colombia twice, correct? They lost, True. got absolutely shellacked by Argentina. I'm not saying any other manager in the world. That's a quality of a player issue, not a manager issue. But I just, I don't know, Grant. I look at a team that looks, there's, I look at a team that has very little team spirit. And quite frankly, that's the one thing that's always had the United States get an extra 10 to 15% out of each player. And listen, coaches are hired to be fired. So I just don't know if Sunil has it. I don't know if Sunil has it in him because we saw it right before the 14 World Cup. He hitched his wagon to Jurgen Klinsmann right. before that group of deaths even started. No, true. A couple points I would make here. The U.S. identity that we've seen develop under Bruce Arena, under Bob Bradley, wasn't always the sexiest soccer, but you almost always felt like they got more out of the team. They were more than the sum of their parts. And there's national teams where that is not the case, where there's a lot of talent and they are less than the sum of their parts. Exactly. So I would say that I don't, I don't see that happening under Klinsman, that fundamental part of the U.S.'s identity. I also would point out if you're going to fire Klinsman now, and I think it's time, then you're not doing it because you think all is lost when it comes to qualifying for World Cup 2018, because Taylor, it is easier to qualify out of the hexagonal than it is even to make the MLS playoffs. I know. I mean, (laughs) you've you've got six teams and four of them, four of them, Taylor, are likely to make the World Cup, just as Mexico did in the last cycle when Mexico won two out of 10 games in the hex and still qualified. Think about that. Two out of 10. It's absurd when you say it like that. Ugh. 
I, I just, the more I think about it, it's, it's kind of hilarious, but I'm, I'm already making hotel reservations for Uzbekistan a year from now, because that's what I could see the U.S. doing, is finishing fourth in the hex and going against Uzbekistan or Saudi Arabia or UAE in the playoff. And the margin for error is still quite large, you know? I, even if the U.S. wins their next qualifier at home against Honduras in March, if they win it like 3 nothing, they'll be in that fourth place position in a position to qualify for the World Cup with one more game. Yeah. Yep, and I hate using stats but st- uh, on a lot of things, but unless it's pertinent. And to this situation, it is. So 15.6 is the number you need to get. Now, obviously, everyone's going to go, Taylor, you can't get a point six points. <laughs> My point is, is that the average of 15.6, that means you qualify for the World Cup. So when you look at eight games remaining, well, you win your four games at right. home. I'm going to say three wins for sure. Costa Rica's up in the air. Mm -hmm. I don't know about that at home. Okay, so now you're at 10 points. You've got to find a way to get six points on the road, and over the last three cycles, we're a little over five points. So that's where the margin of error is slim. But, God, Grant, the fact that we're having this conversation when the hex for the six go? Right. Like, it's just that's... Now, bring it full circle. To two of the three hardest games, U.S. just played. Correct. Right? So, AI, you know, the hardest home games against Mexico, the second hardest away games at Costa Rica. Okay, fine. Well, there you go. You got no points. We get it. Um, it's a different conversation if, if Josie and John Brooks are alive on that set piece. <laughs> they get one point at home. <laughs> then you go to Costa Rica. It's a crapshoot. And they probably, quite frankly, I, I don't think if they tie that game against Mexico, I don't think they have the performance. But – this you got to push your the right buttons, and I just don't think Jurgen Klinsmann's pushing the right buttons with lineup selection, formations, and even public calling out of players. I just think I think players are tired. I look at a team. There's no, it just looks like a team that's tired of the message. Yeah, I I don't think Klinsmann understands, and I notice this a lot with top European coaches, even in the Premier League. Um, that this idea, and maybe it's an American idea, that when you're the coach and your team wins, the credit goes to the players. When you're the coach and your team loses, you accept responsibility. Yeah, I, it's not a bad shout. I will say I had some great conversations and very lucky, and I'm not name-dropping, but with the Bollocks and the Rude Van Nisselroys of the world, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a player thing. And, and here's what I mean by that. If you are consistently banging on the door of negativity and questioning players publicly, mm-hmm. it's exhausting. And I don't care who you are. I think Wayne Rooney with Jose Mourinho right now is going to be a great example of this. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you're maximizing the most out of that said player when you do that as a coach. And I look at, I'm going to use Michael Bradley as an example. Since the World Cup, we, do, we have not seen the same Michael Bradley. Mm-hmm. He's had a game here or there where he's really stood out, but he's been inconsistent. He publicly, whether you, you, you want to admit it or not, if you're Jurgen, he's questioning the tactics. He's questioning his positioning, mm-hmm. which was an interesting one, 24 hours before the Costa Rica game. <laughs> it, that's exhaust. I don't care who you are. You're not, no, no one's Superman, Grant. And so then all of a sudden it becomes tiring. You're exhausted. You can't figure it out. And I'm not making excuses for Michael, but I look at Fabian Johnson. When was the last good game Fabian Johnson's had? For the U.S., it's been a while. Yes. Yeah, and even Timmy Chandler. God love him. 
for what he's done at Frankfurt, but I haven't seen him have a good game in almost two and a half years for the United States. Correct. And yet he's called on. So that's what I'm getting at is you're pushing the buttons. It's, it becomes tiring. And it is an American thing, Grant. I think you bring up a great point. Is that the coaches, that saying I just used about hired to be fired, that's a, that is an American way of looking at it. But as a soccer manager as opposed to NBA, NFL, hockey, even baseball, you only get during a 90-minute game three changes to make. So it's a lot of what you do in training, what you do publicly, how do you get a team together. I just look at a team that's extremely disjointed. Yeah, I mean, when Bradley talks about not how Mexico had a clear idea of how they wanted to play more than once, he said clear idea like twice after that game. The implication being that the U.S. did not have a clear idea how to play. And it's like this sort of verbal jousting that Bradley and Klinsman are doing at each other publicly now. Yeah, after games, before games. I don't care who you are, Grant. That's not good. You know? Especially in a team that doesn't have the quality of Mexico. Or when you play the Argentinas of the world or the Belgiums or the Colombias, you don't have the quality they have. So you've got to find a way tactically to get the most out of every single player and instead all i'm reading and all i'm hearing is jousting yeah i just think i I think it's a waste of energy and ultimately that energy comes on on that 90 minute game and the u.s just doesn't have it all right so moving on to mls this podcast comes out on tuesday morning we're recording friday tuesday night you are calling the montreal toronto mls east final leg one in a rocking Olympic Stadium in Montreal. What are you looking forward to most in this matchup? Well, the fact that Olympic Stadium is still standing <laughs> in <laughs> it's a dump, 2016 isn't it? <laughs> is amazing. Uh, that that uh, everyone that loves RFK could look at it and say, "Wow, there's even one a little bit older than that." No, in all seriousness, I mean, here's the thing. I, I got it. If only the game wasn't played on that turf, right? So let me get that out. That turf's out there, so now you're going to get a game where, ironically, and Grant, listen, we, we covered the sport in this country. New York City versus Red Bulls is what everyone wanted. Mm-hmm. Yet I think we could have a pretty good discussion right here that Montreal-Toronto is a more organic mm-hmm. rivalry. Yeah. It's been around longer. There's more history to it. So in a weird way... While MLS, yeah, you get your first Canada team in in MLS Cup and whatnot, and the American sports fan may not look at it that way. I look at it as a great opportunity for myself to see what this rivalry is all about. It's the second time I'll be in Montreal for this game. I did it in October. Um, Two teams that really hate each other, two cities that absolutely hate each other. And I love what Montreal's done in the sense of Piatti's the kind of player where you and I are doing this podcast, and Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard and Andrea Pirlo, all these older European players have come over, and there's this question of whether or not it's a been a boom or a bust. And in my opinion, it's, it's not a bust, but I, it's hard to determine success by that. But when right. you look at Piatti's of the world or Javinko's of the world or Nicholas Ladero's, that's where the league needs to go. And I look at Montreal, I love Piatti. I yeah. can't believe Piatti wasn't an MVP finalist. Um, the what he's done, and then Javinko on the other side. Can't believe he wasn't an right. MVP finalist. But I, I look at two, two. It's honestly a great rivalry game that's going to be special night at well in front of fifty thousand plus. Well, that's the thing, and I agree with you on the artificial turf being a bummer. 
But a couple things I would say. I don't think that artificial turf has deteriorated too much since they installed it for the Women's World Cup back in 2015. So that was just a year ago. And I do remember being in that stadium for the Women's World Cup semi between the U.S. and Germany. And when the place is filled, granted, the Olympic Stadium is kind of a dump. But when the place is filled, the atmosphere is pretty great, whether it's that or the the CONCACAF Champions League final. Yes. Yeah. No, you're you're 100% spot on on that. And and I remember the Champions League games and and U.S. Germany especially. That's the one thing when it's filled. If it's 20,000, well, then it's no business being in there. Well, they're already over 50,000, so you know the atmosphere is going to be absolutely insane. It's going to be a lot hotter and warmer inside than it is outside, so the energy of that place is going to be there. But what's interesting, Grant, is when we try to analyze MLS playoff games, it's difficult for me to have something to look at because we're two weeks away from our last game. Yeah. So yeah. when I look at it, you, the momentum of Montreal, I think if Montreal continued to play games and Toronto, we might have had the best series we've ever had in the playoffs because of that, both teams playing at an all-time high. Well, now two weeks off, I expect Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley to play a little bit more free and as crazy as that sounds, hmm. but the pressure away from the national team the pressure away from Klinsman. I wouldn't be shocked if Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore are the two best players on the field, but I look at the way Montreal was built. They were built for this kind of game. Remember last year they completely killed Toronto in the playoffs. Right. I think, I think this is going to be a real good one. So something interesting just from a scheduling perspective, these are obviously two-leg playoffs uh, in the MLS Conference Finals. At West, you've got Seattle and Colorado. For the second leg, you're going to be broadcasting the West uh, leg, too. Yeah. So yeah. do you prefer that, or would you prefer to have the same series? It's a great question. I, I personally prefer the same series. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, And obviously ESPN and Fox and MLS did this eight-year TV deal, and they wanted to alternate and whatnot. Um, it's, it's just a preference in the sense of, well, when you watch the NFL or when you watch the NBA, everyone just stays in the same series. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I'll give you a different – I prefer same series, but I'll say it is refreshing because as you and I have many conversations off a of podcast, dude, we're watching all the games anyways. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to do both games and see all four teams and and whatnot. I think it gets a little confusing for some coaches and players when you meet with them, as you've done these series where they're like, wait, you're doing this game now? You know, so it's a little, they feel like they're repeating themselves when you talk to them and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But either way, they're playoff games. And I don't care what I'm doing. I love the playoff game. I personally love the Tuesday, Wednesday night games Mm -hmm. uh, under the lights. I think it has a different vibe to the game. It has a different feel. You turn it on your television. I think it just looks different as opposed to the afternoon games. And I think Colorado-Seattle is going to be interesting, especially if Jordan Morris is healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be interesting. And, and what does Zach McMath do in Tim Howard's favor? But it is a, it's, a, it's a weird one. I explained it to all my non-soccer <laughs> friends. And they're like, wait, I thought you were doing the Eastern Conference. I'm like, don't ask. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned there's a two-week layoff because of the international window that comes right in the middle of the MLS playoffs, right when they start building momentum. And I'm wondering, are you okay with the MLS playoff format? Would you like to see it change so that it was maybe, instead of a two-leg situation, one leg with the higher seed hosting that? 
Well, Grant, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> because you, uh, this one is a. Um, at some some point, we've got to reward the regular season. Yeah, and I say we, I say just we, just as a sport. We, the way it's set up now, the regular season is not set up for. No one is rewarded for that. Right now, you've as a player, I've played in playoffs where it was a three game series, first team to five goals or five points or whatever it was. I've played in series where it's one games. It's just one game. You're on the road. Uh, I've played in two-legged series where then it all of a sudden is, you know, most goals, no away goals. Now it's away goals. I think no matter whatever MLS decides, they've got to figure it out. They've got to stay with it. But right now, because of that international break, and listen, MLS has no choice. You have to honor that. Then you've got to find a way where either it avoids that break or – it's not, you know, the playoffs is over because you just have to find a way because it just doesn't seem to work for me. Yeah. No, I agree. Plus, plus, to your point, on the first and second leg, these teams that are actually going to the playing games and then also, you know, play at home the first leg, they're, they're advancing. So yeah. it's not necessarily my opinion. It's the numbers are showing you, well, maybe that doesn't work. My feeling is I just want the lower-seeded teams because so many teams get in. I want them to have a higher hill to climb. Completely. To, you know? Completely. The fact that you and I are actually talking about Montreal, and, and and listen, Seattle, the fact that they're even in the playoffs, basically wrote the book on what? That March to June doesn't really matter. Yeah. And everyone will say to me, well, that's not the point. Well, of course it's the point. The New York Red Bulls should have been rewarded for that year. Right. The Colorado Rapids should have been rewarded, and they're still in it. But the fa- I, I just couldn't agree with you more in the sense that it should be a hill. So if Montreal makes the MLS Cup, it was the most miraculous run mm-hmm. we've ever seen. Right. No, I agree. And if they make it, it won't be. But right. that's the nature of the, the beast right now. Would you do one game? I would do. I've proposed this before. I think I'd like to see a group System, yeah. uh, like a group play system. Like the Confederations Cup has eight teams, two groups of four. And so however you get down to eight teams, I'm okay with that, even if MLS continues the play-in games. I get why they do all that. But once you get down to eight teams, I would like to see groups, two groups. And if you're the top seed, based on what you did in the regular season, you host all three of those group games. And if you're the low yep. seed, you're on the road all three of those group games. And if you can find a way to advance in the top two, just like the World Cup, which all of us understand how that works. You don't, you don't need to explain it. If you're the low seed and you can do that on the road, then more power to you. But at least it's going to be a higher hill to climb. Yeah, I, I'm, I couldn't agree with you more. There's just got to be a way. I mean, Grant, honestly, and I, that's why I asked you how long. It, because promotion relegation isn't going to happen, well, I, I've got this idea, and I've said it to a couple of GMs and presidents, and they've all been very intrigued by it. It's just, well, you've got to create with MLS money or a mechanism of creating promotion relegation. Mm-hmm. And so otherwise, if you don't, and what I mean by that is U.S. sports mentality, re- re- they reward mediocrity. The 76ers have absolutely <laughs> stunk for how many years, and they keep getting number one, number two, number right. three picks. Well, what if you reversed it? 
what if the Chicago Fire actually got the least amount of allocation money and the Colorado <laughs> Rapids or FC Dallas got the most? I like it, but it's also something where a lot of these MLS owners are also NFL owners. Yep, and that's where the problem comes into play, right, is that American mentality. And that's why I say that American sports mentality, because they would look at it and go, wait a minute. But right now, I just feel like March through July, MLS has to find a way to make these games more important and have something to them. Right. And I, they've, they've got to create a mechanism that way. I mean... Ultimately, you and I are going to be talking about this. It's going to be 28 teams in Major League Soccer. I would have two conferences of 14 teams each, mm-hmm. top two in each conference playing a Final Four, do your thing, round robin, and play it. Yeah, you know, I love so, it. And then create it. And everybody will say, well, that means plays, you know, teams three through eight. Well, that's why you've got to create another mechanism where every place you finish higher, maybe it is more money. Right. So I don't know, but it's just... Grant, all of us in the same circles are having this discussion. How do you make the MLS regular season mean something more? I'm glad we're having a discussion. I'd love to see it actually result in some action. But Yeah, um, well, that's, <laughs> that's why we'll, we'll just keep doing podcasts until it does. <laughs> so stepping back, I want to get into your path into the media. Uh, you were an accomplished player. You had to retire early due to concussions. At what point did you say, I want to try this media thing, <laughs> and how did it go from there? <laughs> That's a real good one. Honestly, I hated the media. Um, <laughs> I do recall a little bit of this yeah. back in the day. <laughs> Not, hates, the, hates a really strong word, obviously. Um, it was just one of those, I didn't trust myself with the media. Mm-hmm. Alexi's asked me this. Alexi was shocked because obviously when he was done playing and he was in the media and he would try to call me and get quotes or we would talk or whatnot, I just, I didn't trust myself. One, because I always felt like if I said what I felt, Grant, I would either tick off my own teammates, I would motivate the opponent, um, I would cause rugs. So I always was the Bull Durham. I gave every cliche possible when I did interviews and whatnot. And when I was done playing, there was a guy by the name of Tom McNeely, and I, he and I had had number amount of beers in the city. He owned a couple bars. He was doing. Um, he was actually the coordinating producer for the so- for soccer and NBA mm-hmm. in college World Series and whatnot. And he just said, you know, he's a Boston guy, and obviously the word was circling that I just couldn't recover from my concussion. So he reached out and said, "Have you ever thought about TV?" And I actually laughed, hmm. and I was like, "No real interest." And he's like, "Okay." Well, then we forgot about it. Well, after the 2010 World Cup, he was in a pinch. So he Mm -hmm. called and said, just do me a favor. You owe me. I've bought you how many beers? And I said, okay, fine, fair enough. (laughs) He said, will you go? I I don't have anyone, and I need someone to call Tottenham Hotspur versus San Jose Earthquakes. Hmm. I'm not going to tell you anything you need to do. Just do it how you think you would do it. I'm going to have two people from the talent office watch, and you're with your good friend, Rob Stone. Mm-hmm. So, Grant, there it was. And so I did it, and I will tell you, it was the worst game ever called. It was pathetic. I had no idea what to do. The first three replays came. I wasn't talking. Rob looked at me, and he goes, held my cough button down, and he goes, dude, that's effing your job. I go, what does that mean? Rob and I went out afterwards, and he's like, what would you think? I'm like, Rob, this is no joke. Right. I said, but... It's a challenge. And Grant, the, 
my career just ended in the prime of my career. I had nothing to do. I had no idea, but I still had a fire, you know, that saying fire in your belly about something. And I think I loved the fact that it was a challenge mm-hmm. and that I was not good at it. And so push came to shove. I said, I called Tom and I said, Tom, thank you so much for the opportunity. That was the worst game ever. And he goes, well, we'd like you to do one more game. And huh. that was six years ago. Wow. That's, that's an interesting story. I can confirm that you were not the first guy I would go to in a post-game locker room for quotes when you were playing. Don't blame you. Don't blame <laughs> you. I don't, I don't blame you. Well, 2007, to give the listeners a good perspective, I had just lost my fourth MLS Cup. Yep, fourth. And I remember Ivis came in, and it was golf. And those two guys came in the Revs locker room, and they, mm-hmm. they were asking me questions. And I referred to myself as the Jim Kelly <laughs> of Major League Soccer. And it was the first quote where I let loose and I was myself. And I remember everyone's reaction in the locker room was just like, come on, dude, like really right now? And I, I looked at everyone. I said, if I can't accept this now, then I'll never be able to get over it. And quite frankly, I've never gotten over it. But it was me. It was who I was, and who would have thought that a year later my career ended with a concussion, and now I'm in media. But I remember that being the turning point of my playing career, saying, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going to give a real answer. Yeah. I like to think I'm trying to improve all the time at my job, trying at least. What are the things you've worked at improving over the years in what you do in the media? Oh, great question. Um, I pick so I, I pick a lot of things at the beginning of the year, and when I say a lot, I pick five things I want to address that I need to improve. And it's anything from mechanics uh, to voice. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't realize that in television, Grant, your voice is a big part of it. Yeah. And if anyone doesn't understand that, well, then they shouldn't be doing it. But your voice has to be fluctuated at the right points. It has to be down at the right points. I've learned that, obviously, being around John Champion, Ian Dark, and those types. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to do It's no different than being a player. Here's the one thing I've learned um, that I have really improved on is that no matter what, you have to be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is the first year I did it, I started to realize no matter what I say, or whatever my opinion is, 60% of the broadcast will like it, 40% won't. And the 40% is the team that's losing. <laughs> or the 40% is a critical moment that I gave, gave my analysis to. Mm-hmm. And so my rule of thumb, Grant, has always been, if I can't say it to that said player, that said coach's face, that said person's face, then I can't say it on air. That okay. is something that I've learned. Um, it's something that I improve on, but that's the one thing I live by on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing I try to improve on a lot is just making sure the timing of my analysis during a 90-minute game is there and that I don't overwhelm the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And that is the hardest thing to do when, and you and I have been there, when the game is 0-0 in the middle of July and there's <laughs> nothing going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we both laugh. Yeah, that's the hardest. That that's actually where I earn my money. Mm-hmm. And people laugh, like you just did. And then they get, then they go to those games. You're like, oh my god, how'd you do that for 90 minutes? <laughs> and by the way, it's not. I'm not talking about MLS only. I did Wales, Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. European quarterfinal. That was the worst. So- Ian Dark <laughs> called it the worst soccer game he's done in 30 years. And that was a European Championship game. 
Yeah, thanks for the expansion to 24 teams, guys. <laughs> yeah, right? Speaking of expansion, like, really? I mean, what, enough is enough, dude. Uh, so so it, it's one of those, I try to work, I've also, and this isn't because this is your podcast, I've said it with others, I, I, my first three years, and actually, quite frankly, now still do it, but I treat it as an internship. Mm-hmm. When I traveled with the national team and hung out with you, um, hung out with a couple media guys that I had a real high level of, re- not respect for, but also curiosity for on how you did your job and how you covered it. That's how you learn. Because I still, like you just said, you're still learning. And Grant, if you're still learning, well, by the way, then that means I'm still in an internship. <laughs> so that part has always been, you just can't rest in this job. You really can't. Well, hey, thank you for saying that. I, one of my questions was going to be, unlike a lot of analysts, you've also broken big soccer news at times, including beating my ass on several stories, which is very impressive. I think back to when Landon Donovan was left off the 2014 World Cup roster. You broke that story. Uh, several other ones over the years. Big stories. How did that start, and what are sort of the positives and potential pitfalls of getting into that side of the job when you're an analyst? It's a great question. Um, I, I will say this to answer your question. For I've probably not broken 500 things Right. that would honestly break the Internet. <laughs> I, I never had a goal of being TMZ, right. if I'm being crystal clear, but I could break the internet with literally, and that's just being close, that's also being, and uh, you know, showing some humility here, mm-hmm. Grant, I retired at age 28, at 75% of the league I played with, mm-hmm. or played against, mm-hmm. so it was also part of just being young. One of my goals when I took the job at ESPN was somehow to create buzz. The one problem Major League Soccer struggles with, and they still do, and they can't take their training wheels off, they still get upset, they don't understand that just talking about the sport negatively or positively Mm -hmm. is a good thing. Right. They want everything to be sugar-coated, and it can't be that way. Look at, you think the NFL really cared about the Flakegate? (laughs) Do you think the NFL really cares? No, you're talking about it for 12 months. So... As I was doing the job of being an analyst, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute here. Nobody's talking anything about anything. And I'm like, there's a lot of stuff going on. My phone's ringing off the hook all winter long. Mm -hmm. No one's talking about it. So I basically told myself, you're not going to become the TMZ of Major League Soccer. You're not going to say anything that's off the field, unless it's obviously massive news where death or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But anything else like that, I'm not becoming TMZ. I want to create buzz. And if I have the opportunity to do that, I'll do that. That's how it kind of fell into that. Now, the pitfalls is, and here's a good one. A lot of people thought when I said Landon Donovan was going to retire, Mm -hmm. Grant, I knew it three days before the All-Star game. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't do my homework or... I didn't give the proper respect to the player and organization I was talking to. I would have done that at the All-Star game against Bayern Munich when we almost had over a million people watching. Right. And everyone thought it was a dirty move by me doing the next day. That hmm. was 10 minutes before it was announced to give LA Galaxy, Landon Donovan, and everyone, and I still to this day am asked questions why did you break Landon Donovan retirement? I'm like, hold on. 
guys, I knew, and Alexi will tell you this, I knew, yeah. he knew. But we do it, so that's the hardest thing, I think, Grant, is, and you know this better than me, is the pitfalls of that, because I'm not a journalist, and I think a lot of people will say, well, then why are you breaking news? It's literally in my gut and in my heart of just trying to create buzz. Well, and also, I, it's something where, if you, it, but if you do get something wrong, it doesn't matter if you have 800 things right. That one wrong thing is Grant. what people are going to remember. But Grant, how many th- in your lifetime, how many times have you gotten something wrong? It's happened. I actually yeah. uh, screwed up a couple years ago on uh, the Montreal coach. I reported, according to a source who had never burned me before, that Nesta was going to get it. And he did not. And so I wrote, and this is something you've got to be accountable for. You know, you've, you know, I wrote an apology. Like, I got this wrong. And I think that's yeah, something that's no fun to do, but you've got to do it. Yeah, but my, he, the reason why I asked you is that, Grant, nobody listening to this podcast remembers that. <laughs> well, now they will. <laughs> no, and because, listen, and that's where this, it's this day and age. I can't, the amount of stuff I've read from Costa Rica's loss, 4-0, till today reading this podcast, how much of it is true? It's 30%. Mm-hmm. Grant, 2016 with social media, it's, it's just throw it and hope it sticks to the wall. Right. So that was the one thing that I will not do. I in, in Grant, I'm wrong on every broadcast. So that's why I ask you, we're all going to be wrong at some point. Breaking news is an interesting one where I, I feel like some people thrive on just throwing it, throwing it. Well, that one stuck against the wall, and you're like, right. well, wait a minute. You were wrong the previous four times. <laughs> Um, I, I never knew the Nesta story, and Grant, I've call, I've follow you. So, my point is, is that you're very rarely, 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 rarely wrong, if ever, and that sometimes means you actually lose, lose it. If that makes any sense. I, no, and I've I've not broken stuff, you know, even you know a lot of stuff recently that would have damaged a relationship or I thought was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, th- I'll be very specific here. Clint Dempsey is a guy that you and I both know. And my approach with Clint Dempsey news with his irregular heartbeat situation, and I hope for the best for him, not talking soccer here, I'm just talking about life. I am not going to break any info, any news about Clint Dempsey that uh, is not something that he's cool with. You know what I'm saying? No, it's two of us. And we don't even need to get into what we're talking about. But that is... And Grant, I, that's what I meant. You asked me what I've learned. That's part of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I'm still learning, and I still learn that every day about relationships. But the one thing that anyone's had a relationship with me or played with me is that I, I will say stuff that will bother you. I will say stuff that probably pisses you off. I get that. But at least when you go to bed at night and then the next day you call me, you have my 100% respect and that you know what I'm doing. Right. And if I don't have that from people, then, Grant, I need to look in the mirror and figure that out. But I, I was not the easiest teammate. I was the worst teammate. <laughs> I, I, it, it's just what it was. But when the whistle blew, ask every single one of those guys, well, I probably I want Taylor on my team. That's just kind of where I've kind of looked at it that way. But I've had some bumps in the road where 4 o'clock in the morning, Grant, I'll tell you, you probably don't want to see <laughs> – my cell phone during an MLS regular season, it's, it, and Mark Connolly, our good friend, would tell you, 
it blows off the hook. Yeah. And how many people, one upset, two want to clarify something, mm-hmm. three just want to chew my ear out. <laughs> and the one good thing is I like self-deprecation, uh, and I'm very, I realize I can't be 100% right, and I'm not going to be everyone's friend. But, man, I have, uh, I've taken some phone calls through the last five years. <laughs> We're going to wind this down a little bit because we're pushing 45 minutes here. Totally appreciate you taking this much time. But I, I want to ask about uh, where we are on concussion awareness in sports, in your opinion. First off, just for people who haven't followed, how many concussions do you think you had in your playing career? It's a great one. Um, it, it's a very good, I say great one because it's a great, you say playing career. And many people say as a pro, well, that's not how long I played. So, mm-hmm. When I went through my history, my mom and dad did a good job of sitting down and trying to remember all the concussions. Mm -hmm. Technically, for them, and both of my parents are 60, the concussion meant being knocked out. Hmm. So we went through, and I had from age 10 to the end of my career, seven. Wow. Now, those were seven diagnosed concussions. Mm -hmm. Five, I was knocked out. Two, I wasn't. And the last one was the worst. And so, but... If I answered the question rightly, now knowing scientifically what a concussion is, Grant, it's, it's way more than seven. Yeah. Yeah. And when you ask anyone, if you ask Alexi Lawless to Eric Winalda, that generation, to my dad's generation of the NASL, mm-hmm. to now the Christian politics of the world, and politics is a bad example because he probably never heads a ball, but that generation, if you tell them what a concussion is, they all will go, whoa, mm-hmm. I've had concussions then. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, um, it's an ongoing, evolving medical issue. Uh, the fact that we're talking about it is one step. Uh, but your next question is, where are we? And Grant, I still think we're, we're behind a rock. Hmm. I just don't think we address it pro- properly. 2014 World Cup is the best example. Mm-hmm. For FIFA to come out and say Christoph Kramer was properly handled, and that you only need three minutes on the sideline? Well, science tells us it's seven. Mm-hmm. Not me. <laughs> I, I, I'm just a, an advocate of awareness, but science tells us you need seven minutes to properly assess it. Well, FIFA says, no, you need three. Until FIFA properly addresses the issue, then it's going to be up to the Major League Soccer's and the Barclays Premier League and the Bundesliga's of the world to institute their own concussion protocol because FIFA's not going to do it. And so what is happening now that is most encouraging to you about what someone else like those groups are doing? Well, the, put it this way, and it's, it's publicly, I wish it was out, but I deal, I probably get, I'm going to say 100 emails, texts, phone calls during the fall part of the English Premier League season. Mm-hmm. So just say August to Christmas. Mm-hmm of people around the world trying to look at it through the soccer lens. And the fact that the Barclays Premier League is looking at it and talking about using video replay for an independent neurologist, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, Grant, that's the step in the right direction. Now the reality is, I mean, the fact that U.S. soccer says no heading until age 10, that's being proactive. Yeah. And that's all I'm talking about. I'm not saying two years from now when you call me to do this podcast again, that age may be 12, Grant, because science may tell us, oh, actually, we need to go later. It may be eight. We don't know, but at least U.S. soccer is saying we need to be proactive. Right. The fact that the EPL is talking about using video, they are what everyone looks at uh, for whatever reason. 
that's a massive step in the right direction. And because of that money in that league, if they actually adopt a substitution rule, then I think FIFA is going to follow suit because they're going to have to. Mm-hmm. But I've said this all along. U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer could be the leaders in the world in this topic of discussion. I'm just not sure, for <laughs> lack of a better word, they want to address it head on instead of maybe looking at it behind closed doors still. In what ways does your concussion history still impact you on a daily basis? Are there, are there some pretty basic things that you can't do? Yeah, doing this podcast, um, I have, it sounds like I have a sinus infection, and it's actually, I woke up this morning and I had a really, really, really bad concussion headache. And the concussion headache today is because last night we had rain come through. I'm not going to bore you with this. So there, I've studied it. I kept a journal for two years. Mm -hmm. I know days when I'm going to be great. I know days when I'm going to feel awful. I know how to live with it. I've changed my diet. And that's ultimately, Grant, why I started the foundation, because someone needs to talk about it. Because if I just sit there and say, I feel bad, I feel bad, well, no, I'm going I'm to beat it. And I'm going to beat it and give every avenue that I use to beat it and then talk about it so people have a chance, whether it's omega-3s, acupuncture, or actually seeing someone that knows the pathways of your brain through your eyes There's certain things I've done that have really made me better, and just Mm -hmm. telling people about it, it's changed lives. But, Grant, there are certain days where I'll wake up and go, oh, boy, this could be a tough one. Well, first off, thank you for taking this much time, then, because I hope this hasn't come at a cost for you. Well, talking to you comes at a cost anyway, so that's not (laughs) concussion-related. So tell me, just to finish up here, what it is that your foundation is doing these days. Well, we, start, we did the second annual, it was our second annual Concussion Awareness Week. It's the first foundation to do it in the, in the state, um, in any state. In mm-hmm. Massachusetts, the governor and everyone announced it, Concussion Awareness Week in the state. So that week, and it was in September, every fall athlete, varsity and JV, boys and girls, part, took a pledge, which is, I will be honest, with my signs and symptoms of concussions, I will be educated on the signs and symptoms of concussions, and I will support anyone that gets a concussion. Everyone had to read that before every event, um, and then they wore an orange wristband and, and got a couple educational materials. Hmm. All we're trying to do is to change the narrative. I don't want sports to go away, Grant, but hmm. I don't want us not to evolve either. And there's so much false stuff out there, whether it's CTE that is scaring the living crap out of people, mm-hmm. whether it's the heading rule in U.S. soccer where people think we'll never learn how to head a soccer ball again, that's completely bogus. It's just trying to be a beacon of light. Um, but the best thing, and I think the most important thing we're doing, is literally answering emails about people that are struggling. Mm-hmm. And last year, Grant, it was over, I don't know, it was an astronomical number of just people reaching out. I'm 45, and I've got two kids. I got hit in a car accident. I'm a skateboarder. I'm 18. I can't go to school. What do I do? And every single concussion's different. Every single concussion heals differently, but at least they know they have someone out there that's like, yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I had that. You know, so it's a lot of my time is answering those emails and just trying to give some kind of hope to those people that are struggling. Taylor Twelman, this has been fun. Thanks for joining me today. Dude, this was a blast. Thanks, Grant. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Taylor Twelman, as well as everyone at Digital Media and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Thanks also to our sponsor, Mac Weldon. If you enjoyed this episode, there are other great new and archived episodes you can check out, including my recent interviews with Tab Ramos, Juan Carlos Osorio, Bob Bradley, Gary Lineker, and Thomas Mueller. You can subscribe to, like, and review the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To you and your family, happy Thanksgiving. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.